0: I know, I'm so glad Jen uh, prayed over that, just heaviness of heart. You know, I know that can happen during the holidays, right? I, I just said it the other day, and I, I didn't even think about it until the words came out of my mouth, and then I, I could feel it emotionally and spiritually. I said, oh, this will be the second Thanksgiving without my sister Gina and my brother Joey. And I was like, oh, as soon as those words came out of my mouth, oh, it was hard to even hear myself say that. But I just... I want to encourage you that that's just part of what we do. We bring these hurts, we bring these pains, these aches before the Lord, these heartaches that Jen just had us pray. We, we offer them to the Lord, and we actually give thanks. Not for the, the painful things that happen in our life, but we give thanks in those circumstances, right? 1 Thessalonians, right? In all circumstances, give thanks. That is the will of God for us in Christ Jesus. And so that's what I do often, not to not go through the, the grieving process, but it's just it changes. Instead of me being heavy and burdened, I can actually, in, actually enjoy the holidays. I can actually enjoy my family that is there. I can look back with fondness of all the funny and silly memories I have with my family that's not here. And so I just want to encourage you that. My message is not on that this morning, but I just want to hit that for those that need to hear that. That give thanks right? With a grateful heart, even when things aren't going the way we want them to go, even when there's heavy things in our heart, would you just choose to give thanks in that? And watch how the Lord comes and ministers to us as we give him thanks. Amen? Um, So I'm going to talk this morning about Thanksgiving. Um, The first half of the title of this morning's message is The First Thanksgiving, and we are not going to talk about the pilgrims and Indians. Um, So really quick, there are lots of stories in the Bible that I could reference and claim as the very first Thanksgiving. But is there anything that comes to your mind? A Bible story, Sunday school trivia. Are you thinking of any stories in the Bible where people gave thanks that maybe your pastor is going to say that could be it this morning? Can you think of any stories in the Bible where people gave thanks? Anyone willing to share something? All right. That one there. When the shepherds were told that the Savior had been born. Oh, that's a good one. I like that one. They were rejoicing and praising. Yep. I love that one. Shepherds got to hear Jesus was being born. Yeah. When they came out of Egypt, yeah, there was singing, there was dancing, there was celebration. That's a good one. So you guys are, I'm just trying to stir up your thoughts. What is the pastor going to say is the very first Thanksgiving? Can I give you a hint? See if we can get there, actually. Uh, So it's in the Old Testament. So that would say, not the angels, because that's New Testament. Angels telling the shepherds, that's New Testament. Old Testament. And actually, I read from Psalm 105 this morning. And that was a psalm of thanksgiving, and it's the very first time that psalm was given in public. So that should give you a clue already. Who wrote Psalm 105? Any guesses? David, David. all right. King David, so it was while he was a king, so that gives you more uh, context. It is when the Ark of the Covenant came into Jerusalem, the very first time. When his presence came home. Right? So that's the title of this morning's message. First Thanksgiving, a home for his presence. And um, if you want, we're going to get there in just a second. Uh, we're going to look at um, is it first Samuel, second Samuel. Now I'm getting confused because I have so many references in both. Um, it's first, second Samuel, second Samuel chapter six. If you want to get your Bibles ready, if you don't have a Bible, you probably have a phone with an app, you can do that. If you have neither, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you, and that's actually a new King James. That's what I'm reading from this morning. So if you have an app and you want to choose which translation, it'll just be easier. You can choose whatever translation you want. Uh, But I'm going to read from New King James all this morning. Um, So this morning's message is from that, and I'll I'll read to you. I'm telling you to go to 2 Samuel, but really quick, the same story is chronicled in 1 Chronicles. So um, there's this 1 Chronicles 16.7. It says this, On that day David first delivered this psalm, Psalm 105, into the hands of Asaph and his brethren to thank the Lord. And then it says, oh, give thanks to the Lord. We we read that this morning. So we are reading the story this morning of this psalm of thanksgiving being given for the first time. David wrote it. It was his own personal psalm of thanksgiving. He gave it to Asaph, and then the whole nation did it. So there's this whole nation giving thanksgiving. So that's kind of where I'm coming off. This is the very first thanksgiving. Um, If you read in 1 Chronicles, the same story, 1 Chronicles 16.3, it says this about this day. It says, David, then David, he distributed to everyone of Israel. Do I have that one? Yeah, perfect. Both man and woman, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. Is it sounding more and more like Thanksgiving? (laughs) It says the whole nation of Israel, an entire nation, had a feast. That's what we are doing this week, right? Right? Our nation of America has Thanksgiving. And I remember when I was in college, um, I traveled, actually, uh, I was studying abroad in Israel, and I went to go visit one of my other friends who was studying abroad in England. And my wife, who was only my girlfriend then, showed up unannounced in England, and we had this incredible Thanksgiving celebration holiday week in England, and we wanted to have a Thanksgiving meal, and we realized, Oh, England doesn't celebrate Thanksgiving, do they? So there's no turkeys there. There's nothing. And so we had to figure out how to do that in a different country. And I'm saying that because Israel was the only country giving thanks to the Lord. And I I love that. They were the ones that served Yahweh. And so it was a national holiday. I'm just giving credence to why I'm saying this is the very first Thanksgiving, right? doesn't really matter, but I'm just trying to give it to you in biblical context. And I love that it says they got a loaf of bread. Everyone, everyone in the whole nation, King David gave presents. It wasn't Christmas yet, but he was giving presents to everybody. It says everyone, man and woman, got a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and some sweets, right? A cake of raisins. And that sounds like Thanksgiving to me, and as I'm saying that, I'm already craving. It is one of my favorite meals of the entire year. I love turkey, mashed potatoes, and gravy, and I think I love it so much because I can have mashed potatoes anytime, but these mashed potatoes, the way my family makes it, Jen's family, it's actually most of the food comes from my wife's side of the family, and and they just know how to make good food, and so I watch them make mashed potatoes. It's not just potatoes that are mashed. It's like, I don't think they even measure. It's just Chunks and sticks and sticks of butter. It might be more butter than potatoes, I don't know. But it tastes great, and it's so good. And so I love that. I love that the gravy, uh, I don't know if she's going to make it this year or not, but our aunt, Jen's aunt, makes this gravy, and she imports the mushrooms from Poland, it's because that's where she made them the very first time, and so it's got to come from there. And so it's like this thing that you don't get all year round. Like, like It only happens on this Thanksgiving meal. And so I love that. And so I'm just trying to get you all or ready for it, right? Um, <laughs> But this is what David's doing. He's he's instituting a holiday. It's a celebration. He says, there's got to be food. We've all got to be eating food. And I I love that. So there's this psalm, this public Thanksgiving. The whole nation's doing it. There's food. Um, But really, it's centered around the Ark of the Covenant. And when I say Ark of the Covenant, I'm going to use that as synonymous for the presence of God. That it says that in the Old Testament, when they created the Ark of the Covenant with Moses, right, that that was where the presence of God dwelt, right? And then the presence of God would begin to move that pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, and it would move and they would pack up the tent and the Ark of the Covenant and they would follow the presence. And then whenever the presence stopped, they would put the Ark of the Covenant and put the tabernacle there. And the presence of God dwelt over the tabernacle, over the Ark of the Covenant. And so we know that holy of holies, right? That's only one man on one day can go into that place, into the presence of God on the mercy seat where God dwelled with man in the Old Testament. Then we know Jesus came, Emmanuel. We know the good story, New Testament. Jesus is everywhere, right? He's here, that we are the temple of the living God. I love all that. But there's this Old Testament story where the ark represents the presence of God himself. And so there's this celebration that it made it home. It's the first time the ark of the covenant. It's been in Israel for Decades, for hundreds of years, and this is the very first time it's actually coming into Jerusalem. Some more, probably, biblical trivia, you probably don't really care, but I'm giving it to you anyways. Um, David, there, there was no Jerusalem before David. There was Jebusites lived in this pagan town, and David conquered it and then called it Jerusalem, right? And so we know the story of David, that he wanted to build a temple, and God's like, nope, you can't build a temple, your son Solomon can build a temple. But it all starts here, this very first Thanksgiving, the first time the presence of God on the Ark of the Covenant, goes where it belongs, where Abraham went to go sacrifice Isaac on Mount Moriah, on the Temple Mount, right? There's just so much history and so much context, and this is all culminating on this first day of Thanksgiving. And so that's why I'm bringing it up this morning. But really, it's because there's three homes. As we're about to read through 2 Samuel 6, you'll see three homes referenced, and there's a home for the presence of God. Um, so let's see. If you, again, if you have your Bible, I'm going to read it. We're going to read an entire chapter, 23 verses. This is pretty rare that I read an entire chapter for you on Sunday mornings because I'm trying to talk really fast and get a lot of information in. And this time we're just going to read it. And let's see if you can find three homes listed in this story. So 2 Samuel chapter 6, I'm in verse 1, New King James. Here it goes. On purpose, I don't have it up there so that you get your fingers dirty. Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were, born, who were with him, Baal Judah, to bring up from before the ark of the God, whose name is called by the name the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So it's kind of referencing who God is and the ark of the covenant. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab. Catch that? House. Which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the son of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments, of firwood, on harps, on string instruments, on tambourines, on cistrums, and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand on the ark of God and took hold of it. For the oxen had stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error. And he died there by the ark of God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David. But David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom and all his household. Now it was told King David, did I read that right? Oh, verse 11. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Verse 12. Now it was, the king, it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of... The presence, or the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with sounds of the trumpet. Verse 16. Now, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Here's Thanksgiving right here, verse 19. Then he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both women and men, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So all the people departed, everyone to his own home. Then David returned to bless his household. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servant, as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord, and I will be even more undignified than this, and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. guys did it. All right, we read a whole chapter. There's lots in there, lots I could preach, but I want to highlight those three households, those three homes that the Ark of the Covenant or the presence of God dwelt. So, anyone catch the name of the very first one? Abinadab. Abinadab. All right. So, the Ark. It says that David went to go get the Ark from Abinadab's house. Why was the Ark of the covenant in Abinadab's house. Well, you'd have to read before that to find out. In 1 Samuel, you'll read in the first few chapters, Samuel was a little boy with Eli the, uh, Eli the priest, was the head priest. He had two sons. Uh, I always say this, and Benjamin's not here. Phineas and Ferb. It's not Ferb. It's Phineas and Hophni, I think. Um, but it's, uh, he has, and they're wicked, and so that's why Samuel becomes the next, uh, the next priest. But when this happens, Eli is the high priest, and there's no king yet. This is before Samuel, this is before David, there's no king, and the elders of Israel were losing in a battle with the Philistines. And they said, we've got to conquer these Philistines. They came with this great idea. Hey, I remember back in the day, Moses and and Joshua, they they took the Ark of the Covenant and went before them, and then God would part the waters, and man, everything just went, everything went right when the presence of God went before us. So they said, let's go get the Ark of the Covenant without asking Eli, without Conferring with the Lord, they just thought, man, it'll be like a good luck charm, right? We'll just take our good luck charm with them onto the battlefield, and what happened? The Philistines captured it and went into Philistine enemy territory, traveled around in different cities in, in uh, Philistia, right? And what happened while it was in enemy territory? Those horrible gods, Dagon and all these, Baal and all these idols, they fell down and broke before the Ark of the Covenant. And then plagues broke out, rats and boils and tumors and all these things were happening to the enemy. And so they're like, get rid of this thing. We don't want the presence of God around here. It's making our lives miserable. So they send the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel and it shows up and then it ends up in Abinadab's house. So it's not in the tabernacle. It used to be in Moses' tabernacle, right? Before David, before David's tabernacle, there was the tabernacle that Moses and Joshua had created. And so at this point, it's now in someone's home. It's not not in Shiloh. It's not in Jerusalem. It's not where it's supposed to be, but it's in someone's home. And some scholars will say 70 years. Scripture at one point says 20 years, but there's other places that refer to 70. So I'll read this. It says this, in 1 Samuel 7, 1 through 2, it says this, Then the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill and consecrated Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. So it was that the ark remained in Kiriath-Jerim a long time. It was there 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. It was in this home for 20 years. And we have no history of anything great happening. As we just read the story, you saw there were some good things that happened when it happened, in, when the, whole, the presence of God was in Obed Edom's house and in Jerusalem. But for 20 years, it was in this guy's house, and we have no history of anything good happening. What's going on? I was thinking about this comes a dad joke, so forewarned. You can laugh and just make me feel good, or you can just sit there and be like, that was the worst joke ever. Um, but I'm a dad, so I get to do dad jokes. Um, so David was dancing, right? It says that when the, how, the presence of God was coming to his house on the way, the presence was on its way to his home, he was dancing, twirling, doing every kind of dance. He was doing big dabs, right? Is that how you dab? I do know how you dab, right? right? He was doing big ones. But when it came to this guy's house, he just did a Benny dab, <laughs> but see, now you'll remember that, right? that. he didn't dance. He just did, he gave it a little bit of honor. When the presence of God was coming to his house, he's like, all right, sure, I think I got some room back over there. You can put it over there and take care of it, right? It was in this guy's house, but there wasn't much glory or honor. or He wasn't stewarding the presence, which was what Mark, our pastor Mark, just talked about last Sunday. So kind of connecting this idea. The presence of God was in this guy's house, and there's nothing to show for it. And I wonder how many of us look like Abinadab. How many of us are Abinadab homes? The presence of God lives and dwells in here, and there's nothing to show for it. I mean, we keep it safe and secure, right? It went into enemy territory, so Abinadab's like, well, we got to keep this, safe, this thing safe, right? We don't want the enemy to get it, so let's keep it safe. Let's protect it. Let's make it nice and secure, I think that some of us, we want the seal of the salvation of the Holy Spirit. We've got that seal. Oh, I'm saved. I got my ticket to heaven. And that's all we got. I just feel like the Lord is saying, it's not okay. It's not okay to have the presence of God living in our homes in this very personal temple right here and for it not to show. I'll say it. it's not okay for the presence of God to be in this church and for it not to affect people. It's not okay for the American church to have the presence of God and it doesn't affect our society. It doesn't have an impact on our government. The church shouldn't be having a huge impact on how things happen in this world. I'm not saying that we get to always be the president, always get to dictate how everything goes in this world. No, but we should be the salt of the earth. We should be the light of the world. How can you hide it? How can we have the presence of God and we just hide it in our homes? It's just not okay. So you have Abinadab's home. And then you contrast that to it coming. For 20 years, it says it was in there. And then it comes to Obed-Edom's home. It's there for three months. Not 20 years, three months. And everyone is recognizing something just happened to this guy's household. Night and day difference. So much so. It wasn't like, just a couple good things happened that, like, well, maybe that was just pure chance. It says that they went and reported it to the king. You don't bother the king if something just good happened, like someone paid for your lunch going through the drive-thru. Oh, that was really nice. Someone paid for my lunch. Oh, that was great. You wouldn't go report that to the king, right? Something miraculous, something that was extraordinary, that was just visible, that was, it was manifestations of the presence of God. All right. Another dad joke. Abinadab. You had to know his name. If you look it up, really, this guy's name was actually just Obed. That was his first name, Obed. This Thanksgiving feast, this first Thanksgiving is where he got his full name. Because as they went home with that loaf of bread and that piece of meat, right, and those, it says cakes. There was raisin cakes. And when they got home, all of Obed's kids went to, his, went to their mom and said, Mom, Where's the sweets? Where's all the cakes? And she said, oh, (laughs) Obed-Edom. Told you, bad dad jokes. But see, now you remember it. Obed-Edom, he received all those good things, all the sweetness of God's presence. Abinadab, he missed out on all the goodness of God. It says that in his presence is fullness of joy. Fullness of life, fullness of all the sweet things of God. And Abinadab had the presence of God, and there was no sweet things. But, uh, but Obed, he ate them. I want all that God has. Anything he's got for me, I want it all. I want it all, right? When I go Thanksgiving, there's all kinds of food on our island in the kitchen. I don't want just the turkey and gravy. I want it all. i got to try everything. Someone's bringing something. i got to try that, some of that, right? I want it all. And I want us to be the same way. That the presence of God, I want whatever's available in the presence of God. If there's holy laughter, sign me up. If there's speaking in tongues, sign me up. If there's peace that surpasses understanding, sign me up. If there's people in the presence of God leaving their pews, coming up front, and enjoying the presence of God, dancing. I, I saw uh, someone do that today. I saw that people doing that last Sunday. Pastor Nick got off the stage And enjoy the presence of God. And then I saw my son. I don't care what everyone else is doing. I want to enjoy the presence of God. I love that. I want all there is. The presence of God. There's more. There's more. I grew up in this church. I enjoy God's presence daily. But there is so much more. And I want it all. I want to eat it all. And so this idea. Oh, but eat I was thinking about this. This is a little bit how I've shared with you. When I tell my kids Bible stories. I take liberty to like read into it and add some of what I think might have happened. It's not biblical. I mean, it's not extra biblical in the sense that it's like heresy, but it's just all those details aren't in there. But it says it was obvious that Obed-Edom and his entire household were blessed. So if it was obvious, there had to be been some things that outsiders were saying, what is going on over there? I just began to think about it, right? In that context, a lot of them were farmers, Or they had sheep or cattle, right? They had things. So I'm thinking, he had the ark. What was inside the ark? There was manna, right? That food came daily from heaven. There was a a rod, a, a branch that was taken off a tree, no longer connected, and it was budding. Quickly, overnight. And then it wasn't just budding, it actually had full almonds. So I'm thinking about his crops. I'm thinking, things were happening when it wasn't seasoned. Everyone is just now planting, and he planted, and the next day, it was like jack and the beanstalk What in the world just happened? What's going on over Obed-Edom's fields? Everything's like full crops in two days. What's going on? Right? There are things that are prospering further than they should be. The favor and goodness of God was on his household. Things he didn't deserve and he didn't earn, he didn't work for, but he just was getting them. And I look at my life, and I'm like, Wow. One of my kids uh, got an award yesterday, and i not to just praise him, but I look at that, that was a blessing for me. I I didn't do anything to earn or deserve that award, but it was in my household. One of my kids got got recognized. I was like, that's just favor. I didn't earn that award, but I received it into my household. It came, that certificate came into my house, and I did nothing to earn it or deserve it. It just was on my household. I was thinking, that it wasn't just his crops. I'm thinking it's his relationship with his family. There was family members he was at odds with that didn't get along. Thanksgiving meal. People that were at his house that maybe they didn't, like, just, just be quiet and just be nice, right? There was people that he didn't want to see, but they were at his house. And somehow, when the Ark of the Covenant came into his home, it's like, he had this genuine affection for people he didn't used to have an affection for. That weird laugh they had that he drove him nuts, like, it didn't drive him nuts anymore. Right? They eat with their teeth. My wife hates that, but my teeth, anyone else, their teeth hit their fork? My teeth hit my fork and it drives her nuts, right? There's things that she does that I can make fun of her. She's like, you do that and I don't do that, right? There's things that our family members do and it drives us nuts. But somehow relationships were being mended. There was peace in his household. Kids were honoring mom and dad. Teenagers were doing chores without being asked. Right? Miracle had to be the presence of God. Right? There just was things happening at home that everyone was recognizing something is different. And I'm wondering, that's what I want this Thursday. That when I have family and friends come to my home, they're saying, something is different about this house. Something different about this year. Last year we mourned. Some of our family members not being here, but this year there's just a joy. There's a sweetness. There's a warmth. There's a gladness. There's affection. There's brotherly love. Everything was getting better in his household. He almost had like that fable. This is not biblical, right? But it comes to my mind often is that I don't even know the story very well, but it's it's King Midas where everything he touched turned to gold. Is that the right story? It's kind of like that. He's like, hey, I've never planted corn before. Let's try it out. Just threw a seed on there. All right, a whole crop of corn the next day, right? Anything he touched, it just prospered. It's, I think his wife and all the women in his entire house, it wasn't just you know the nucleus family, right? We'll see here in a second. It's dozens and dozens and dozens in his household. So his wife and all his children, all his daughters, and all his women, somehow they were getting more beautiful inside and out. And the men, they were getting stronger spiritually and physically. How do I know that? Because scripture actually says some of this. It talks about Obed-Edom in other places. In the context of this Thanksgiving story back in Chronicles, I'll read it to you. In 1 Chronicles 16, 37-38. You don't have to turn that. I think I have it up here. Uh, Yes. So he left Asaph and his brothers there before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister before the Ark regularly as every day's work required and Obed-Edom with his 68 brothers, including Obed-Edom, the son of Jeduthun, I don't know how I say that, and Hosea, to be gatekeepers. He had 68 brothers. And I'm going to read this. All of his brothers became gatekeepers in David's tabernacle. That's miraculous. Every single one of his siblings, and I'll say 68 brothers probably had some cousins or half-brothers. Even then, half-brothers, right? It gets messy. It says every single one of them got a job at the church. It gets better. So that's one. And then in 1 Chronicles 26, verse 8, it says this, All these were the sons of Obed-Edom. They and their sons and their brethren, able men with strength for the work, 62 of Obed-Edom. So not only, it says he has, if you read further, he has eight sons. And then he has all these grandsons. So not only all of his brothers, but now all of his 62 sons are working in the house of the Lord. Every single one of them. And it says they had strength. They became, if you kind of get the context here, they became the elite Navy SEALs of the day. They were, think about it, the most who do we have protecting our president, right? The secret service. It's not just some Joe Blow cop, right? That becomes a secret service. It's our elite forces that come back from being trained in boot camp and then, okay, I'll protect the president. That's Obed-Edom, his entire household. Even after the ark leaves his household and goes to Jerusalem, he's like, yeah, but wherever your presence goes, I'm going with it. And he serves the presence of God all the days of his life and all of his brothers and all of his sons. And there's strength to be these elite forces. I love it. All right, so finally, the third home, right? Abinadab, Obed-Edom, the third home, now we know, that's David's house, right? David prepared a place. And it's interesting, I, I could preach on this really long. But it's interesting the progression. David, in the beginning of this chapter, he's the one that wanted the presence of God where he lived. But in the process of going after the presence of God, some things happened that were difficult, right? In the process, he was celebrating, and he was bringing it, right? And it says he was sacrificing animals, he was celebrating, he was doing everything right that he knew how to do right, but there was something that lingered from Abinadab's house. He listened to the priests of Abinadab, he didn't go back to the Word of God. You can read this in Chronicles. He didn't bring the Ark the way it was supposed to be carried. The presence of God was to be carried on the priest's shoulders, but instead they put it on a cart pulled by oxen. Where did they get that idea? I looked it up. I, there's, again, this isn't like scholar like I know for a fact. Other scholar, I just was reading the story. It says previously in the Old Testament, that the priests carried it. Everywhere Moses took it, Joshua, the priests carried it. The only other time I could find a cart doing it was when the Philistines wanted to get rid of the presence of God. They put on a cart and had some cows bring it back to Israel. So 20 years later, Abinadab says, oh, we're going to move the cart again? Oh, let's get a cart and let's put it some cows or oxen pull it. They missed it. They missed what how to carry the presence of God. And David was excited for the presence of God, but he did it in the wrong way. Sometimes I can have my heart's desire is right, but if I'm not looking to God's word, I'm not finding out how He says to do things, things aren't gonna go right. There's guidelines, there's structure, there's things that teach us how to live our lives. I'm not led just by gushy-mushy feelings in God's presence. He gives me specific things to do. There's righteousness. There's things that I have to follow that I don't feel like doing. And David didn't go back to the word of God. He listened to Abinadab. And then in the process of desiring the presence of God, something happens, right? Uzzah reaches out and touches and grabs a hold of the the ark. And he dies. And if you remember in the story, it says David got angry. David got frustrated. David got confused. And I feel like God wants to deal with this in the church, me personally, us here, but I feel like the church at large. There's something about the presence of God that everyone desires more of God. Every Christian wants more of God. But somehow there's things that happen in the presence of God that look scary, that look strange, and people get offended with the presence of God. And God's saying, We've got to deal with this. David said, I can't handle it. I can't bring the presence of God all over my house. And he says, I'm going to leave it where it's at. Because of a bad experience, he let go. And I feel like the Lord is saying, we don't get that luxury. We don't get to say, well, I had a bad experience. Someone prayed healing, it didn't happen, and so I don't pray for healing anymore. That's not okay. You had a bad experience, Okay. I went to camp one time and they were forced everyone to speak in tongues. That means I don't believe in tongues now because they did it wrong. It's not okay. I've witnessed bad things. I've witnessed people do things in the flesh. I've witnessed the enemy come in and bring confusion. But it doesn't mean that I can't still hunger and thirst for his presence. Hmm. It's interesting. I never paid attention as I was preparing this message I mean, I read these details, but it never stood out this way before. It said that Abinadab's two sons watched over the ark as it was leaving his house. It says that one went in front and one went behind. Uzzah was the one that was behind. While David and the king were dancing and rejoicing, that priest, he was watching David just knowing the presence of God is behind me. But the priest, Uzzah, who was behind the ark of the covenant, He was trying to, again, protect it, trying to manage it and steward it. And he saw something that got a little off kilter. And he says, oh, I better fix that. I better correct that. And God says, don't you dare touch it. My logic, my mind, I want to control things. I don't want things to get out of control. I don't want a church where people come up here and look too crazy. Ah, what are people going to think? At some point, I don't get to control the presence of God. I don't get to manipulate and say, this is the only way it can happen. Hmm. All right, I'll share it here now. I love that that David had to go before the presence. See, there's so much about God's word. I'm not saying it's true. These are all truths, right? I love that I can hold things in tension, right? I always give you, is it this or this? The answer is yes, right? We are to follow the Lord, right? He is our good shepherd. Wherever he leads, I will follow, right? And I get it that, that I am to, um, Romans 8, I think Pastor Mark quoted it last Sunday, right? As many as are led by the spirit of God, these are children of God. So we are to be led by the presence of God. That's so true. But I was thinking about David. He didn't go behind the ark. He led the way for the presence to come after him. It says that the presence of God followed David. And I thought about David, probably the most famous Psalm 23, where he is our shepherd and we follow him. He leads us to green pastures, to still water. He leads us through valleys of the shadow of death, right? We just follow his lead. He's our shepherd. But what's the end of Psalm 23? It ends with, surely his goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because it's not about just coming to church and coming into this room and that's where we get the presence of God. It's no, I am carrying the presence of God with me everywhere I go. And His presence comes behind me and that goodness and mercy, it follows me. And other people get to taste of God's goodness. Everywhere I go, His presence is just around me because I spent time in His presence. I can lead His presence, not just follow. I want to be a follower of His presence, but... According to this first Thanksgiving story, I also want to learn how to lead his presence. See, David, Abinadab was this one that wanted to keep it safe and secure. Obed-Edom, he received all the blessings and great things happened to him in his household. But David, he did something above and beyond. He led and he fed. David's home. Led and fed. He wasn't afraid to say, follow me as I follow Christ. His heart was so genuine, so pure, so for the Lord, that he just said, I'm willing to break the rules. Think about this. There were rules that Moses wrote down of how there is to be the Ark of the Covenant, how there's a tabernacle, and this is how you praise God. This is what the priests are supposed to do. And then we read the story about that one priest, Uzzah, who touched it when he was supposed to touch, drops dead. But David, as he brings this Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, into his home, he gives the priests a command. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're not going to put it in a room safe and secure where nobody else gets to see it. We're actually going to put it in a tabernacle, open display, and priests 24-7, you're going to praise God in front of the presence of God for everyone else to see. I can't help but think if I were one of those priests, i like, David, we didn't follow the law of Moses and Uzzah died. And now you want me to dance in front of this Ark of the Covenant 24-7 when there's only supposed to be one man on one day? I'd be like, all right, you first, man. Like, you go for it. You first. <laughs> but I love it. David did. He led the way. He didn't tell the priest to do something he didn't do himself first. He was bold enough to say, yeah, I know that's what the law says, but here's the heart of God. I can actually see on the other side of the cross. See, I see what God is doing. God said that there's these laws where the Ark of the Covenant is going to represent things, and it's supposed to be in a a temple, and one day my son is going to make a temple. But in between the Moses' tabernacle and Solomon's temple, there's David's tabernacle. And it looks nothing like anything else. It actually looks like post-cross where the temple of the living God is actually on priest's shoulders, that we are a kingdom of priests. That we don't look like Abinadab's home. We don't even look like Obed-Edom's home. We begin to look like David. I don't want to follow rules and regulations and traditions. I want to know, God, what is on your heart? There are songs we sing. What moves your heart, God? If it's sacrifice, I will live a life of sacrifice. David, it wasn't just arrogance. Read this. He was sacrificed. It says every six steps. You can go look it up the map. It was along miles and miles between Obed-Edom's house and Jerusalem. Every six steps. Stop the whole procession. Let's sacrifice. That took a long time. That's where all the meat came from, right? Instead <laughs> so of gave everyone a loaf of bread and some meat, well, he just killed thousands, tens of thousands of animals. Like, we got to do something with this. Let's feed the people, Right? There was sacrifice, there was humility, but there also was a, I don't care what people think, I'll whirl and I'll twirl and I'll become undignified in the presence of God. (laughs) There's so much about David's home. When he gets home, what happens? There's somebody in his home, Michael, who's mad and embarrassed and ridicules and says, what a fool you are, David. Can I tell you, going after the presence of God, you're guaranteed to get opposition you'll be labeled a fool. And I'm saying, then label me a fool. If I get to be labeled anything like David, then give me those labels. I'll become even more undignified than this. Because my heart is just to be with the Father. Jesus says, I'm praying for them, that they would just be one with you, Father, just like I am. That's my heart as a pastor. Like David, I just want people to get on what I have. David enjoyed the presence of God so much. He's like, man, let's make a Thanksgiving holiday. Let's make this so everybody can bring the presence of God into their own homes. That's what I'm believing for this day. That we are recognizing and remembering the very first Thanksgiving. I'm calling it the first Thanksgiving. And it was a home for the presence of God. That you and I become a home for the presence of God. That our very houses is where God dwells. And as Daniel comes up, the worship team comes up, I just want to pose this thought, you know. Actually, I'll do it this way. Jen was so good to, to pick up on what the Holy Spirit was saying. There's some of you that have a heavy heart and just needed to offer that to the Lord. There might be someone in this room who, as I'm reading this story, I just thought about how the presence of God went into enemy territory for a long season. And as much as I've been ridiculing I've been at Dab's home this morning actually the idea of 20 years of peace and safety and security someone in this room you're like yeah that would be nice I would like to get out of traveling around in enemy territory and being beat up I would like just to have the holy spirit come into my life oh and for some safety and security for some balance for the chaos to leave and I'm just going to be bold. If that resonates with anybody, that you just would like the seal of salvation, you just would like some safety, some security in your life, especially in this season, would you be willing just to raise your hand real quick? Can I, since you were bold enough to raise your hand, those that raise your hand, can I have you stand? I'm just going to pray over you. Just go ahead and stand if you raise your hand. And if you didn't raise your hand, I'm going to offer you your opportunity to stretch out a hand. If you're next to them, put your hand on them, and we're just going to pray over them. God, I thank you that you say a broken heart you will not ignore. You're attracted to brokenness. You're attracted to showing off your goodness and mercy. So God, these that are standing right here, they're saying that they're an open vessel for you to come and dwell with them. So we say yes and amen. Jesus, would you be Emmanuel right now? Would you come and fill them with your salvation, with your righteousness, with your truth, with your goodness, God, that they would feel it, God. There would be a tangible difference. The way they leave this room is different than the way they came in. That peace has come into their lives. The Prince of Peace rules and reigns. So God, would you cause your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them and give them peace in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Would you take a seat?